From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father John Tregilio. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Monday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line and kicking off your week with us here at EWTN Radio. Father John Tregilio is in the house. If you'd like to talk to Father John, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is one 205 2712985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1205 2712985 you can always send us an email openline at ewtn.com i'm jack williams Michael McCall producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you are watching on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And as our, our host, as he is every Monday, the aforementioned Father John Tregilio, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Hey, so what's this... Uh, You've got this new TV series that you and Father Ken Brigenti did. It's a, <laughs> it's a little short series and what's it, what's it called? Catholic Blitz. Catholic Blitz, where you get, uh, uh, is it, is it, does he always ask the questions or do you go back no. and forth? We take turns and you have one minute, 60 seconds to answer the, the question. And uh, at the 60 second interval, we hit the stop button. Yeah, it's been very popular. We've gotten a lot of positive <laughs> feedback, uh, phone calls, and emails that have come in about the program. So uh, check that out at EWTN.com. Just search Catholic Blitz and you can find. Uh, more information on that. Father Tanya writes in, Why did Jesus need to be baptized? Okay, well, his baptism is not the same as our baptism. Our baptism is a sacrament. It washes away original sin. It infuses sanctifying grace, makes us a child of God. In Jesus' case, um, his was not a sacrament. And first and foremost, he didn't have original sin. He is the Son of God. He is God and man. He had no sin in him whatsoever, so he did not have to have original sin washed away. He already had uh, sanctifying grace because he is uncreated grace, the Holy Trinity. Uh, you can't separate the, the three persons. So his baptism was a symbolic uh, baptism and was necessary not in the sense that if it didn't happen, uh, salvation wouldn't have taken place. It was to fulfill uh, the prophecies. It was to show that uh, in his humanity, he was surrendering that over uh, to the will of the Father. So uh, his baptism was purely symbolic, and yet it still had uh, value to it. But uh, in terms of necessity, if it had not occurred, uh, it would not have affected our salvation. And it's, you know, it's documented that John was baptizing in the river on a regular basis. What was the benefit for anybody who didn't happen to be God incarnate uh, from that baptism of John? Uh, it was a call to conversion, and uh, each of the people who went there certainly made a commitment, or at least should have, 
that they were going to abandon their, their former ways of sin. And again, to each individual, there was not a direct spiritual uh, effect as takes place in baptism, where uh, actually God's grace pours into the person and makes them uh, righteous in the eyes of God. Uh, in John's baptism at the River Jordan, it was to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. Um, Paul is watching us on YouTube today, and he says, I have a question regarding what a sacrifice of praise is. I read it in Psalm 50. Is it something that the lady can perform, and if so, how? Okay, when it talks about the sacrifice of praise, uh, many people um, conclude erroneously that it only refers to in the Old Testament when Abraham and others in the Old Testament literally sacrificed uh, an animal, a lamb, or a goat, or two turtle doves, or whatever, uh, to praise the Lord God. But in terms of, of Scripture, it has a fuller meaning that you and I can make a sacrifice of praise in the sense that, you know, when you go to church for Mass, it may not always be uh, convenient for you. Uh, you may have wanted to sleep in. You may not be feeling in the mood, or maybe you're, you know, not necessarily in a happy place with God. Uh, but you go. You go because that's the right thing to do. And so, in a sense, that is a sacrifice. So for us to go uh, regularly, faithfully, uh, as we as we are called to do as, as Catholic Christians, to go to Mass every Sunday and Holy Day of Obligation, but also during the day that we pray. Too many times people only pray when they're in the mood, when they want something, or when they're feeling spiritual. But there will be times where we feel dry. Mother Teresa had a period of seven years where she had some spiritual dryness, yet she still persevered. So uh, a sacrifice of praise uh, can refer to those instances where it's not easy, but we do it anyway out of love of God, and uh, we surrender our sort of inconveniences for that higher glory. Uh, Phil writes in, he says, I tend to catch myself repeating the same sins over again recently. What do you recommend to keep me holy? <laughs> keep praying and hang in there. Uh, most of us, because of our human nature, uh, we are creatures of habit. We tend to have the same sins. We can't use that as a crutch or an excuse and say, well, that's just the way I am. But like when you go to the doctor, it's usually the same knee that's giving you problems will give you problems in the future. The doctor doesn't ignore it, but the same token says, well, you know, don't get too worried because at least we know where you need to put the emphasis on. And likewise, in the spiritual life, if somebody's impatient, okay, they're going to have to struggle with that. Uh, it's not a carte blanche, it's not get out of jail free card to keep being impatient, but it means you know where you need to focus your attention. And so when you go to confession, don't be disappointed, don't be discouraged if you tend to give the same sins. What is required is a firm purpose of amendment that you want and you're willing to try to do better, but there's no way you can make a metaphysical guarantee that you will not ever do that again. That's what you hope. But in, in reality, it may be you're, you're just reducing it over a period of time. Uh, obviously, some things which are so serious and grave, like murder and, and abortion, we, you know, you, want, you don't want to do it at all, ever, even once. But even if you do, you don't want to say, well, I want to cut down. Uh, but, on, but things like more venial sins, those things which are habitual, uh, we need to say, okay, I need to work on that, like a doctor would say with your overall physical health. Now, I know that you, you priests do not run around all day thinking about your parishioners' individual sins, 
But I've I've heard it suggested by people in the past, clergy especially, that it sometimes will help just our our human psychology being what it is if you can consistently go to the same confessor if you find yourself in this situation. What say you? It's helpful. I mean, obviously, you know, if you find a priest that uh, you can read on a regular basis, uh, again, uh, confession is not spiritual direction. It's something distinct. They both have confidentiality. But uh, I, as a priest, I'm not allowed to remember what you told me the last time. So when you go to confession, you might say, well, if I remember the last time. No, I'm not allowed to remember the last time. Say, uh, I've been having this problem. Uh, let's say it's pornography or something, or over uh, drinking alcohol or whatever. And you might say, Father, I've I'm continued to have this problem. You can do that without going into much detail, but you kind of just walk into the box and presume that the priest remembers all the things you spoke about the last time. But having a consistent confessor, the, the saints always recommended that. But in, in practice and reality, it may not be possible because of the fact that, you know, priests get changed. Um, if there's a number of priests in a parish, we take turns hearing confessions. So you might not always have the same priest in that confessional. Uh, but, I mean, I wouldn't want to discourage people from trying to go to the same priest. But, again, when you're praying, you go to any hospital that's available and you want the doctor. You don't ask for too many credentials if, if you're going to bleed to death. I think it's beneficial to us, just the, the way we think oftentimes. It, it, it's another uh, tool in our tool belt spiritually to, to think to ourselves when we might be considering committing that sin that we stumble with most often if we think to ourselves, I cannot go to Father one more time with the same sin. <laughs> I, I think that's a good I, I thing. Don't want, I don't want people to, to, to think too much about that, though, because, uh, you know, uh, Never, never, never be embarrassed. You cannot say something that we haven't heard before. You can't scandalize us. Uh, just go in, tell what's what you've really done. Uh, but I know sometimes people say, I can't go to my parish priest. Well, you don't have to, but in necessity, you may need to. We had a, a little older lady who was kind of my adopted grandparent when I was growing up, and I can always remember... Whenever I was going off to do something, my mother many times would say, don't do anything you wouldn't want Mrs. Del Vecchio to see you do. Um, 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, you can rely on the Catholic News Agency to cover the mission and activities of the Catholic Church, including social, political, moral, and cultural issues from a perspective of faith. For the latest Catholic news, visit catholicnewsagency.com. That's catholicnewsagency.com. It's an online service from EWTN News. And 
You can even get timely news updates directly to your email inbox. Just visit EWTN.com and click on subscribe. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. First up today is Teresa on Long Island, New York, um, listening to us on Sirius XM Channel 130. Teresa, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program. Hi. Uh, thank you very, very much. How are you today? Terrific. What can we do for you? Okay, so I have a question. I was just listening to Bible in a Year and the story of, you know, Tobias uh, going to marry, I forget her name, I'm sorry, the girl whose seven husbands, you know, died before the marriage could be consummated. And, you know, so Raphael told him to take the heart and the liver of the fish and burn it, and that kept him from dying because it drove the demon away. Now, I have a situation in my house where my daughter has, uh, moved in with her children. She is vehemently opposed to the Catholic faith. She uh, consorts with demons, and she's causing all sorts of ruckus in my house that I can feel. I can feel it. It's palpable. And I did have my house blessed, um, but when I asked uh, a few different priests to come to do prayer of deliverance, they said no. Uh, they, well, they didn't say no. They just looked at me like I had three heads. And uh, my spiritual director told me to burn sage. Now, I have sprinkled holy water and prayed, but I want to know if Tobias can burn uh, fish, liver, and heart, why can't I burn sage? It was my understanding that they do, uh, that, the, that the sage does ward off any negative entity that could be around, and obviously I do it while praying to God, uh, to, to our Blessed Lady and to St. Michael. I don't do pagan rituals. Um, so why is it that sage is not, um, is not acceptable? And if you have another suggestion, please, I will take it. Okay, well, I'm very, very glad you called, because I know I've heard this from a number of people asking a similar question. Um, now, the story of, of Tobit and Sarah... Uh, in the book of Tobit, obviously it's it's part of the deuterocanonical uh, books of the Bible. That's the second canon, and uh, you won't find it in the King James Bible. In some Protestant Bibles, it'll be in the back. What they call the Apocrypha, we call the deuterocanonical. But it is part of the 46 books of the Old Testament that the Catholic Church has recognized since day one. Um, now, what the angel, Archangel Raphael, uh, directed Tobit to do. Uh, it's not considered a formula or recipe for exorcism, although uh, in that particular instance, that's what the, the Tobit was instructed to do. But it's not considered uh, a formula that you and I need to replicate any more than, you know, we put blood on the doorposts of our houses like they did uh, in Exodus for the Passover. Um, that being said, um, I would call the diocese that you live in and speak to uh, someone Every diocese has a priest who's in charge of taking, um, of advising people uh, in, the, in the matters of the occult and spiritual uh, oppression and that. And it may not necessarily be uh, possession, because that's when a demon's in a person. Maybe oppression, uh, where it's outside. There may be manifestations of, of physical things, but there might, there might just be a spiritual um, 
battle going on. And there's where holy water is certainly going to be the most effective that you can use, that you can sprinkle holy water uh, around the place when you're visiting. And uh, no one needs to know that you're doing it. You don't need to tell everybody, I'm going to hose down the house now. But when you're visiting, sprinkle holy water, uh, you know, in in each of the rooms, Uh, certainly praying the prayer to St. Michael. But I would, again, uh, urge you to speak to the diocese because uh, there is probably a good priest who's there to listen and to give you advice. Unfortunately, most of the parish priests, uh, a lot of us didn't get an in-depth or even a cursory um, class or um, study of you know, how to be- do spiritual uh, battlement. And I know there are people who have prayers of deliverance. Now, the burning of sage, the reason why we don't encourage that is because um, religion isn't magical. Magic wor- works on the premise that things have powers. In religion, we believe God has power, and the things that we use are uh, symbolic. Now, in the sacramentals, like holy water, uh, the scapular, the miraculous metal, they themselves don't have any power, but the person's faith is what's operative. And these sacramentals are sort of conduits in which um, actual grace can be conveyed. Sacramental grace, sanctifying grace, only comes from the seven sacraments. But um, using things like, um, you know, besides sage, I've heard people use certain, you know, crystals and um, other things like that. And whether or not the person gets it from uh, someone who's with uh, a pagan uh, occult religion or Wiccan or whatever, I know some good Christians who believe in these things, but we discourage them because it's faith and our use of, of those things the Holy Mother Church recommends so like praying the rosary divine mercy chaplet having a bible in the house images of the sacred heart um in fact enthroning and uh and inscribing the family uh, of the house to the sacred heart those are tried and true methods to use um the, the using of these other things again it's not that we think you have a bad intention but uh i would caution you not to do that use the things that we have available like the sacramentals particularly holy water uh, and, and the Rackless Medal, but also call that priest of your diocese and see if what kind of advice he can give, because maybe uh, he can give you some a better direction. Thanks, Teresa. We'll keep you in our prayers. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America, 833-288-3986. Open phone lines for you and plenty of time for your calls. Joan writes in, regarding judgment of our souls, our creed states, from thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Uh, is it the Father or Son who will judge it, judge us, or will it be the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Well, and, and theologically speaking, all three are operative. Uh, one, one doesn't do something without the other two are participating. It's because of our puny human minds, we have we have finite minds, and God is infinite, not only in his knowledge, but in his power. So uh, we, we ascribe a certain act to each person of the Trinity, like the Father created, the Son redeemed, and the Holy Spirit uh, sanctifies. But in actuality, all three are always together. Uh, they're distinct, but not separate. What one does, all three do. What one wills, all will. What one knows, all will. Uh, all knows. Uh, it's just that we need to appropriate is what we call call appropriation. We ascribe to all right a, a person of the Trinity. 
But that doesn't mean that when Jesus died on the cross, the Father and the Spirit were not at, were not present. The Trinity cannot be separated. Yet for our human minds, we envision Jesus, obviously, the second person took on flesh. But what was unseen is the Father and the Holy Spirit. Uh, because if Jesus were in any way separated from those other two persons, he wouldn't be God. Uh, so at the judgment, it, we say Jesus will be the judge, but that also means that the Father and Holy Spirit are also working in this uh, endeavor. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Um, Elizabeth asks, what is some general marriage advice you would give to young couples? <laughs> Hang in there. <laughs> um, I, I had a, a couple when I was in Hershey, Pennsylvania, St. Joan of Arc. They were married for like 75 years. They were both pushing 100. And I said, hey, Mario, what's the secret of being married for so long? He said, ah, I never give up. I never quit. <laughs> it's It may seem at times that you're, you're, you're just uh, putting up, you're enduring, but the same with, with parents. You know, sometimes your kids are not the best that they could be. Sometimes they are annoying. You just don't quit or give up on them. And same with, with marriage. Yes, love is the most important thing. Forgiving is important. But in the, the reality of things, that sometimes you got to let things go. You can't be bringing up the past all the time. And you endure each other. And you say, you know, I'm not number one. Okay, when I marry a couple, I say to them, look, when you say I do, after that moment, you can never use that pronoun again. Uh, it's no longer I, me, or my. It's now us, we, and our. It's our marriage, our faith, our family, our kids, our problems, our mistakes. Okay? So uh, that's not easy to do, but uh, we don't want people to think that, well, the sacrament in and of itself will, will guarantee that you will have a constantly happy and, you know, uh, thrilling marriage, but you will have a faithful one and one that, yes, is built on love, but it's on human love that's also strengthened by divine love because it's a sacrament. You know, I think Mario's definitely on the right track there. I know it's, uh, <laughs> at, at, our, at our nuptial mass, Father Wade Menezes gave several uh, sort of definitions of a sacramental marriage that had been offered throughout the centuries, really. And his favorite, he said, was that a sacramental marriage is an imperfect husband and an imperfect wife who absolutely refuse to give up on one another. And I think Mario the, was Mario was all over it. That is the best uh, way of, of looking at it. And I would say to couples, too, when I was doing a pre-Cana, I said, look, you know, it, it, there is no perfect marriage. There's no perfect friendship. But as Mother Teresa said, we're not called to be successful. We're called to be faithful. So there is a faithful marriage, one where neither husband or wife give up on each other or give up on their marriage. Plenty of time for your phone calls. Wide open phone lines for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is 1-205-271-2976. one 
And if you are outside of the United States and Canada, we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one 271 2985 And you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at EWTN.com. That's openline, all one word, at EWTN.com. And put Father Tregilio or Monday in the subject line and we'll get it to the appropriate location. It's EWTN's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Still three open lines for you at 833-288-EWTN. Grab one of them. It's a free phone call, 833-288-3986. Next up is Nick in the great state of Florida, listening on the EWTN app. Nick, you are on with Father John. Hey, guys. How are you? Terrific, thanks. Good. Um, so uh, I was raised Catholic, cradle. Um, my mother had been divorced twice, remarried twice. Um, she had recently married a Baptist man and had left the faith and tried me and my wife for still being here, uh, even though she knows we have no intent on leaving. Um, and we are raising both of our kids in the church, one of our kids goes to Catholic school. Um, but just in general, I'm looking for any prayers I could specifically say for her and her hope that she might return to the faith. I don't think the way about going, uh, the way to do it is to give her a hard time about it. And I would just kind of like to pray for her. Yeah. I, I don't want to call it salvation, but to, to find whatever made her lead and come to with it. Yeah. Well, certainly, you know, you want to pray for her, uh, but explicitly every day, you, know, you wake up in the morning or when you go to bed at night, uh, say a, a prayer and you know, say, Lord, uh, help my mother uh, bring her back to, to the faith. Something simple like that, but you have to enunciate. You can't just put in the back burner and say, yeah, God knows I want it. He does know that you want it, but we need to say it. And even though you're just saying it to yourself in prayer, the Lord hears you. So you have to, first of all, do that. Pray for her every day. Secondly, make some sacrifices for her in the hopes that uh, the graces that you could have gotten from that would go to her and help her to um, come back to, to the true faith. So little sacrifice, little acts of mortification uh, are, are good, but always, always, always make sure that they're they're small. They're not something that's going to be burdensome. Uh, this is not like Lent where you're doing this um, for uh, recompense for your sins. You're making a little sacrifice. So, for instance, you're stuck in traffic and, you know, you can't go anywhere. Just offer it up for your mother. Make it very explicit to, to, to do that. I think what often happens is when the kids, you know, receive First Holy Communion or confirmation, you invite her. Whether she comes or not is up to her. But, uh, you know, seeing that event and also that's because that's one of her grandchildren. Uh, she may say something, but I, I doubt that that would happen. Uh, I think because of her love for her grandchildren, you know, she would go. And it would hopefully reinstill in her what she once had. Uh, but you're not going to argue or debate with her or even catechize her. Jesus said, a prophet's not without honor except in his own house. 
but I would certainly be always be cordial, uh, you know, visit her or let her visit you. But once she starts getting on this, uh, if she tries to proselytize, say, look, Ma, don't go there. <laughs> this, this is a brick wall. We're not going to go anywhere with this. We'll talk about the weather or anything else. Um, but definitely, definitely, definitely pray for her every day. And I would pray particularly to uh, St. Monica. You know, she prayed for her son, but also for her, her husband, uh, St. Augustine's dad. And uh, even though it's a different situation, you're the son and she's the mom, uh, St. Monica's a good uh, intercessor uh, in that regard. And the uh, the rosary is shaped like a lasso for a reason, I think. What do you think, Father? <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily tie her up, but... Uh, well, I, I wasn't going that go- far. But, <laughs> <laughs> but offer a rosary for her, you know. If not every day, at least, uh, you know, every other day or at least once a week. Again, you have to make it explicit. You can't just put it in a file in your brain and say, okay, the Lord knows... No, I need to say today and every day, I'm going to pray for my mom. How's that, Nick? Great, great. I mean, I, I say the rosary every morning on the way to work. So that's pretty long. Beautiful. So, uh, maybe I'll work on incorporating it. Yeah. Yeah. Mention her. Mention her by name. Do that when you, just like you say the Hail Mary out loud. Say, Lord, I'm offering up this rosary for my mother. I'll uh, look more up about saying yeah. uh, Monica. Yeah, she she's a good one. She she prayed for thirty years for her her, her son was a playboy and her her husband was a drunk. Yeah. Very good. Thanks, Nick. We'll keep you in our prayers as well. Next up is Amy in Climax, Michigan. She's watching us on YouTube today. Amy, you're on with Father Tregilio. Hello, Father. How are you today? Okay. Fantastic. Hey, I I have a question. I was having a conversation with someone and the the comment the idea that came up was this person said you can't really fault lucifer for being evil when he was made that way and i recognize that this is not accurate thinking (laughs) my understanding is that angels have free will too that's why there are demons but how do i uh, how am i gonna how am i gonna answer that Okay, well, uh, this is going to take just at least a few sentences, if not a paragraph. That's some, uh, that's some Lady Gaga theology we've got working there. <laughs> yeah. Um, first of all, uh, everything God made is good. It, tell, it says that in the Bible. He created this, he created that, and it was good. He created angels who were good. He created Adam and Eve who were good. Then those things that have a free will, like Adam and Eve, but also the angels— they freely chose to sin against God. So the, the devil made himself, in that sense, as Lucifer, an angel, he rebelled against God, and so did one-third of the angels. So they became the devil and the demons, and then God created hell for them to, to dwell in since they could not enter into heaven. So it's not true that God did not create the devil as the devil. He created him as an angel. Likewise, he created Adam and Eve as good, and they became sinful by, by their own free will. The, the difference between us and angels is that angels have one act of the will, and it's forever, but they know that. And that's because everything the angel knows, they know from the moment of their creation. Whereas you and I, we learn things over time, and we can uh, we can learn that we learn from our mistakes, so to speak. An angel knows everything they're ever going to know, so when they go, when they choose what's wrong, they know it. And there's no way that they can change their mind. 
And Lucifer and the angels knew that before they made their decision. And when they chose, it was a, it was a free, conscious, deliberate act on, on their will. And that's why they will always be in, in, in hell for that the choice that they made. Our advantage is that as long as we're alive, our will is still operative. Uh, we can repent as long as we're alive. But, you know, you don't know the day nor the hour. So we don't have people to think, well, I'll sin when I'm young and then repent when I'm old. <laughs> you can, <laughs> the nuns used to tell us, you might get run over by a bus <laughs> or a truck crossing the street. I was terrified at our intersection by our school because of that. But uh, you don't know when you're going to go. So don't presume you're going to have time to make a good confession or have perfect contrition. Uh, be in the state of grace all the time. Does that help, Amy? It, it does, but I don't think I'll ever understand why, knowing what they know, they would still make that choice. And I guess that's one of the things we'll find out, you know, we'll find out after. We'll find well, out because the, we're not one judgment. and done. We'll find yeah, that's part of the general judgment that we'll know who chose what and why. Uh, but also, I mean, we don't have an angelic uh, intellect, so we can only guess at you know we, we don't even know what the test was that they were put with but they have such higher knowledge than we do we're only scratching the, the surface so you know we can conjecture all you want it'd be like an, an infant trying to understand you know what what uh an adult who's got the iq of albert einstein saying so let me ask you a question father john a two-part question the second part will be dependent upon how you answer the first part so do you think that the Lord condemns people to hell, or would you be more in favor of the notion that people condemn themselves by their actions to hell? Oh, absolutely. They condemn themselves. God just ratifies the decision that we make. What about Satan? Same with Satan. He chose, he knew, he knew when he chose to go against God that that was going to have a permanent, irrevocable uh, result. He had no ignorance. Just like Adam and Eve we might feel sorry for them and say, oh, you know, it was only an apple. They had infused knowledge. So that means, you know, they had everything they needed to know, and they knew that their choice would have dire consequences. So we cannot have sympathy for their bad decisions, whether it was Lucifer or Adam and Eve. So then this come, brings me to uh, the 12th chapter of uh, the Revelation of St. John, uh, where it says that, after warring with Michael and the other angels in heaven, that uh, the dragon was thrown down. Yeah, I mean, that's that's an allegorical picture in the scripture. And certainly, you know, it says the phrase they were in heaven. Well, technically, the angels were not in heaven that before uh, the test. So Lucifer was not kicked out of heaven. And this was a test before they got to heaven, and he failed the test. Uh, on his own fault, and this image of the Michael and the other angels, yes, there was a war and battle, but it was before any of them got to heaven. That's why Michael and the other two-thirds went to heaven, and Lucifer and the bad ones uh, were cast into hell. Uh, God was ratifying uh, their, their decision. Um, so this image of the dragon, uh, that was a way in which uh, the sacred author, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, because most people you know, envision the devil as a big dragon, okay, because of the, of the reference to the serpent in the Garden uh, of Eden. But, uh, you know, he wasn't a literal dragon, as, you know, many people try to contend uh, that it was portrayed in the Middle Ages. 
833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America, 833-288-3986. Next up is Jennifer, a first-time caller in the great state of Connecticut, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Jennifer, you're on with Father Trujillo. Good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. My question is, how can you access the grace from the sacrament of marriage? Okay, could, could you repeat the question? Sure. How can you access the grace oh. that you get from the sacrament okay. of marriage? All right. I'm glad you said access, because I thought you first said ask, but you said access, so that makes more sense. Um, you access the grace, all right, uh, every time uh, you interact uh, with your spouse, but also in, if you look from the from the perspective that you please God, your vocation in life is to be the best spouse that you can be. Now that doesn't mean that you're some blind servant who uh, you know just does what your spouse says and, and nothing else. No, uh, you're equal uh, partner in this, but you always put your spouse and your marriage before yourself. And you're, whatever you do for your spouse, you're doing it for Jesus. So if it's something mundane like, you know, um, you know, doing their laundry or uh, uh, helping them with the chores around the house uh, or, you know, uh, your husband brings you a, a bunch of flowers. Again, uh, you know, he has to, you and he have to also see that you're doing this for and with Christ because he's the one who united you in the bonds of holy matrimony. And marriage is, is to imitate the love of Christ and his bride, the church. So to access, again, you have to make a deliberate choice and like I said, with the re reference to the other gentleman a few moments ago, every day when you wake up, say a prayer uh, earnestly saying, Lord, help me to be a better spouse today than I was yesterday. Uh, don't give up. Don't quit. And realize you're not perfect and neither is your spouse perfect and your marriage isn't perfect. But it's not perfection that the Lord wants. It's faithfulness that you never quit or give up on each other. God bless you, Jennifer. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. A couple of open lines for you and time for your calls at 833-288-3986. More to life tomorrow morning with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popcheck, 10 Eastern Time. Beat the Blues. Situations in your life or relationships getting you down, the Popchecks will help you reclaim your courage and hope. That's more to life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popcheck tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio. Ezra writes in, how is it that the line of apostolic succession was not broken as a result of the separation of the Orthodox Church from the Catholic Church? Well, the, the apostolic succession merely means that every validly ordained bishop was ordained by a validly ordained bishop before him, and that could be traced all the way back to the 12 apostles. When the Orthodox split in the 11th century, they still retained uh, apostolic succession as we do in, in the Catholic Church, uh, because their bishops were ordained by previously ordained bishops, and so forth. So it was like uh, backwards, having a, if you had an Episcopal family tree, so to speak. Uh, where there was a break in apostolic succession took place in the Church of England, and Pope Leo XIII made that very clear, 
uh, that there was a break in not only the formula, but also the intention, uh, and they were ordaining, um, besides uh, uh, men into the uh, as bishops, they had people who were men who were not bishops ordaining bishops, and that was a break. And now today they have in the Church of England uh, female uh, bishops, which is is also a break with apostolic tradition. But the Catholic and the Orthodox have valid sacraments, all seven. And uh, apostolic succession merely refers to that uh, concept and principle that you could trace any valley ordained bishop back to one of the 12 apostles. Now, you know, exactly to which of the 12 um, may take a, a huge amount of time, but we certainly believe that as an article of faith. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Linda asks, how can we be free from attachment to sin through plenary indulgences? Well, it's not through the plenary indulgence. It's that when you are completely detached from venial sin, then you're able to receive a plenary indulgence. A plenary indulgence is the full remission of temporal punishment due to sin, and one of the requirements, in addition to receiving Holy Communion, going to confession, you know, uh, 21 days before or after, and doing the prescribed action, like say praying the Rosary before the Blessed Sacrament, or on Divine Mercy Sunday, or visiting the um, the dead on on All Souls Day, and praying for the intention of Holy Father. That la the last thing that's required for it to be a plenary indulgence, which is full remission is that you be a, you be detached from all sin, even venial sin. And uh, it's possible, but it's not necessarily an easy thing to do, and that means you don't even have any fond recollections uh, or memories of that. You see venial sin as, as repugnantly as God sees it. Obviously, it's not as severe or serious as mortal sin, but uh, venial sin is still repugnant in the eyes of God, and a lot of us are, are sort of comfortable we're sorry for what we did, but we're not. We don't really see it as what it should be, or say that we have this abhorrence to ever uh, committing a venial sin ever again. So it can default to a um, a partial, uh, a partial indulgence as opposed to plenary. That's not a bad thing, but the good thing is that you you have the possibility. You should aim for that, and to so if you are completely detached uh, from your previous sins, then the potential is there for you to receive the plenary indulgence. Perry would like to know if lustful thoughts are a mortal sin. Yes. <laughs> uh, if they were freely willed, okay, now if you're having this uh, in the twilight moments of waking up, you're half asleep, half awake, it's not considered a sin because you need full consent of the will. You must be fully conscious, all right? You have to be wide awake for this to take place. But if you, uh, you conjure these things on your own, or after you know this impure thought pops into your head, the fact that you got the impure thought may not be your fault. But when you start dwelling on it, okay, when you start to entertain uh, these bad thoughts, you're seeing something on TV or the internet you know you shouldn't be watching, and then you decide to take too much time to change. All right, uh, that's considered a, an act of the will. Uh, it's only when something is involuntary. Or uh, it's something that, you know, unexpected. But again, once you realize, you have to say, this must stop. And uh, if you don't, and so Jesus said, you know, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery. It wasn't adultery uh, in terms of a physical 
act of fornication, but it was uh, of the mind and heart. Uh, next up is Joe in the great state of Connecticut, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Joe, you are on with Father Trujillo. Yes, hi, good afternoon. I have a question somewhat similar to the previous call. I consider myself a good Catholic, go to church every Sunday, two to three times during the week. I'm a reader. At times, I have a tendency to fail and watch pornography. And the way you look at the Ten Commandments, I'm sinning. That's a mortal sin. What my question is, does the Lord take into consideration? I'm a good Catholic. I help others. I do what I have to do. Or is it because I watch pornography, I'm going to go to hell? Okay. God does look at the whole picture. However, even one act of mortal sin is called mortal because it literally kills a life of grace. So uh, it's not like God looks at your bank account and says, okay, you, you've got all these other good things in your favor and you only did one or two bad things. Uh, we want to get away from that perspective and say, no, God looks at every moment as a unique moment. And so it, it would be the same as if you, know, if, you know, if you were married, you want to say to your wife, well, I'm, I'm mostly faithful to you. Just once in a while I cheat. That wouldn't be good, okay? Um, you would certainly have to work on um, avoiding it at all times or ever again. Uh, you can't say, you know, I've only done it a few times or uh, infrequently. And so you want to work on it. That's why confession's available. Uh, the priest is going to say, hey, you, you, you've used up your limit. Uh, God's mercy is infinite. So you do need to confess that. Uh, every time that you look at pornography intentionally, deliberately, you need to confess it. And then once you confess it, you're back in the state of grace. Now, you may have to battle with this for a while. Uh, it may be an ingrained habit that you need to continue to work on. But I wouldn't want anyone to think, well, I only do it once in a while. Or, you know, it's like uh, I only stole $50. It wasn't $500. We, we don't look at incrementalism, okay, or quantitative. We want to look qualitatively. Um, it's good that you are doing good things. And so you, you want to continue that. But you want to also see the general picture. It's like if you went to the doctor and the doctor said, well, you know, you're pretty good. Your cholesterol is good. Your blood pressure is good. Your uh, AC number is good. However, and that however could be something serious. Like, well, but, you know, you've got this tumor on your foot. But everything else is good. Uh, the doctors will say, look, guess what? We want you to be completely good, not just 90%. Uh, Richard is in North Dakota, listening on Ave Maria Radio online today. Richard, thanks for holding. You're on with Father John. Hi, Father John. Thank you um, for the program. And uh, I guess my, I don't know if it's really, well, it is a question, but it's also, I'm just not sure what to do with it. Um, we went to Mass um, at a different parish over the weekend. We had uh, some friends with our family, one of whom was not Catholic. Um, I had told him like the day before that he couldn't receive communion um, and then he he was feeling compelled during mass to receive communion I wasn't close to him but my son was and then my wife was closest to my son so anyway it it, it got confusing and and he ended up receiving communion and I guess I'm kind of at odds with my wife about it but um, I guess I'm not sure what what I should do how I should feel I mean any of it I guess it, it bothers me but yeah, um, well, I, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, that 
I don't want to say it in the right, in the wrong way, but I'm glad it bothers you because, you know, this isn't an optimum situation. However, we have to look at the intention of the person. Uh, many non-Catholics, especially uh, Protestant Christians, they have a different perspective on on the Holy Communion that, than we do. The Roman Catholic and the Eastern Orthodox have the same policy and, and teaching that one must be in full communion before they can receive communion. In, in many of the Protestant traditions, uh, it's the opposite. It's that communion is seen as a means to an end that, you know, they have what they call open communion. So if you're Methodist, you could go to Episcopalian. If you're Episcopalian, you could go to the Presbyterian and so forth. We don't see it that way. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, you, you, you had the obligation and you did it by telling him he should not go. Um, if this happens on another occasion where he comes again, you say, just a reminder, you know, our our practice is that, you, you know, only those who are fully initiated and fully in full communion. Uh, and again, that full communion means not only that you receive all the sacraments, but that you believe all the things the church teaches. That's why these politicians who support abortion, they're not in full communion. And that's why they shouldn't be going to communion either. It's not just those who are not of the Catholic faith or those who may not be a, in a valid marriage. Uh, but what your response is, you did the right thing. If this happens again where the same fellow or person comes with you, you need to remind them again. But I wouldn't necessarily want you to make an in, in, uh, you know, um, an incident there where you tackle him and say, no, you're not going. Um, you know, It wasn't necessarily your, your wife's obligation to physically stop him. You told him, and he acted against that. Now, he may have had good intentions, but that wasn't the right thing for him to do. Uh, it would be the same, again, if you went to the Orthodox Church, if you're not Orthodox, they're not going to give it to you. I mean, uh, I've got Orthodox priest friends, and they make it very clear they won't give it unless you are definitely uh, Eastern Orthodox. Uh, the analogy I like to use is, uh, you know, if you're uh, an American living in Canada or a, Can a Canadian living in America, if you want to run for office, if you want to get elected, if you want to vote, you got to become a citizen. You can live here all you like and be a very good person, but if you want to participate fully as a U.S. citizen, you must become a citizen. And if one wants to receive Holy Communion and the other sacraments in the church, then one must be a full member of the church. A quick blessing, Father. Pardon? Give us a quick blessing. Amen. Blessing Almighty God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, descend upon you, may with you forever. Amen. Amen. Back at it tomorrow with Father Wade Menezes. Until then, God bless. <laughs>